Hello, and welcome to Disneyversity, the podcast crash course through the history of Disney's animated classics, where we talk about some of the most famous movies ever made that most of us probably don't know nearly as well as we think. Each episode, we'll be moving forward in time through the legendary Disney catalogue, watching every feature film in the Walt Disney Animation Studios vault, from Snow White to Encanto, seeing how they stand up today, how they pushed the boundaries of animation, shaped the legacy of Walt Disney and the wider Disney brand, and how they influenced pop culture at large. disclaimer this is not an official disney podcast but all of these films are available to stream now on disney plus so come on watch along with us and let's learn together i'm film journalist ben travis and while i'm prone to saying god bless us everyone i'm not your disneyversity lecturer no, in this special festive bonus episode, I'm a less miserly version of Ebenezer Scrooge, hoping to learn a thing or two about the true meaning of Christmas as we watch through 60 films and counting. Here to show me the abundant riches of Disney animation is the Professor of Christmas Present, a jolly fellow who'll be touring me round an iconic festive tale with added Mickey Mouse ears. I am, of course, talking about Dr. Sam Summers, our guide through one of the most groundbreaking and beloved animated movie catalogues of all time. Sam, ho ho, how are you doing on this special Christmas bonus episode of Disneyversity? I am ho ho fine. How are you? <laughs> I am ho 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 okay. <laughs> we are recording this a day after we recorded the Rescuers episode. It is barely more Christmassy <laughs> than it was when we recorded the last regular episode, but this was our window to get this done. So, yeah, I, I'm feeling festive but i'm not in the full-on christmas spirit yet i have a lot of work to do before i put my out of office on but you know we're getting there man we're getting there you got your tree up yeah i've had my tree up for weeks do you have any disney ornaments on your tree uh we have a kermit and miss piggy on our tree uh that's about as disney as it gets technically owned by the walt disney company got a black panther which lydia my partner won't let me put on because it's not festive enough it's not festive at all like (laughs) um, kermit and miss piggy are wearing like santa hats and stuff but black panther it's literally just t'challa it's like there's nothing but there's nothing really christmasy about that guy i don't know he's kind (laughs) of bringing a gloomy mood to the whole thing got his arms folded with a stern expression well if this helps the cause uh, i have an official jurassic park dinosaur ornament that is just it's just a plastic dinosaur again no santa hat no christmasy embellishments it's just a dinosaur it's just a plastic dinosaur on our tree but i love it and it makes me smile every time i look at it so if you want to try and uh, get lid on board with the black panther bauble even if it's not particularly christmasy there you go there's some ammo for you What are your plans this festive period anyway? What's happening in the Summers household? I'll go around my parents' house. We'll wake up. We'll uh, open some gifts. They'll open some gifts from me. I'll open some gifts from them. Nothing particularly special is is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, we'll eat a lunch. We'll eat a meal. I am not a big fan. My scroogiest trait is that I do not like Christmas dinner particularly. Why? Why not? I don't like anything involved. I'm not, I'm not a big, like, roast dinner guy. I'm not a big veg guy, to be honest. I'm not a big roast meat guy. Like, roasting some meat, to me, that's the worst thing you can do to it. Like, you... <laughs> 
What about pigs and blankets? That's sausages wrapped in bacon. Those are two things that I know you love. Okay, yeah, pigs and blankets, I'm down with. I would have just a plate of pigs and blankets, but that's not allowed. I'm always just begging my family to be like, look, I... Let's just get a pizza in, get a Chinese in or something. Like, we don't need to do this. We don't need to do this just because society has decided that this is what everybody eats today. It's unnecessary. Maybe some people like Christmas dinner. I refuse to believe that that's anyone's favourite food, you know? We could just pick something we all enjoy. I mean, I think I would just pick turkey and roast potatoes and pigs in blankets and all that good stuff and uh i go non-traditional i stick some yorkshire puddings on because why would you deny yourself one of the best bits of a roast on the best day oh we, we always have yorkshire puddings i'll have yorkshire puddings it's one of the very few things that i'll that i'll eat on that on that spread so now that we know your roast dinner preferences or, or lack of what are your preferences when it comes to versions of a christmas carol because i guess we should make i feel like we haven't established this on the on the show yet <laughs> as you've probably seen in the episode description we're talking about mickey's christmas carol it's just a telling of dickens with a mickey mouse edge but there's so many so many tellings of a christmas carol out there sam what is your favorite one I mean, it's the Muppets, isn't it? it it's gonna to be, be the Muppets. Muppets. I could go a little bit more. I mean, I like Scrooged. That's kind of people. Is Scrooged one that was a little bit maligned when it came out, but people like it now. I think that's a fun movie. You've got some fun versions of the ghosts in there. I love Carol Kane's Ghost of Christmas, whichever one she is present. I think I can't remember. She's like a crazy demented fairy. Okay, so animation-wise, you've got the hideous Jim Carrey motion capture one. Yeah, which is on Disney+. Plus. I had to swerve that to find Mickey's Christmas Carol. <laughs> Don't accidentally click on the Jim Carrey version. I might stick on uh, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol every now and then, featuring Gerald McBoing-Boing as Tiny Tim. With Gerald McWho? Gerald McBoing-Boing. You don't know... Gerald McBoing Boing, the little boy who can only see a boing. Are we in an alternate universe right now? Have I slipped into another dimension? <laughs> Gerald McBoing Boing, it's a classic animated cartoon from like the 1950s. Sure, Sam. I get, yeah, Gerald McBoing Boing. You ever seen the movie Hellboy? Yes. Of course you have, right? There's a scene in Hellboy where Hellboy's watching Gerald McBoing Boing. Of course there is, of course. <laughs> yeah, so just revisit that. And then watch Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol featuring Gerald <laughs> McBoing Boing. I ended up watching a couple of years ago, there was that BBC adaptation of A Christmas Carol that was like weirdly dark and it had uh, Stephen Graham in it. And a few, I don't know, it was I think it was like the Peaky Blinders guys who did it. It was an interesting take, but for me, it has to be The Muppet Christmas Carol. It's just a wonderful thing. And it, oh God, it just makes me cry in a good way. And that gets stronger and stronger every year, Sam. It's so pure. That film is so, so pure. It's in all the places you find love, it feels like Christmas. Oh, isn't that just the loveliest sentiment you've ever heard? And it's a similar kind of adaptation to what we're looking at today, and it's something that's fairly common. There's a lot of little versions of this on special episodes of of animated TV shows, for example, where we will take our existing cast of characters and try and, as best we can, slot them into the framework of A Christmas Carol and see if we can make that function and i don't know i'd be interested to see how you think the mickey mouse version stacks up to the muppets well we're going to discuss that in just a minute but just before we get into everything uh, we're also in this little bonus episode going to have a little bit of encanto chat uh, that's the brand new disney film the 60th canonical walt disney animation studios film which has been in cinemas for a little while by the time you hear this and i believe on christmas eve 
is coming to Disney+. Plus. Uh, so we'll be having a little bit of chat at the end of this episode. But yeah, we're going to do all the Christmas Carol stuff first. So that is enough from us. We're all sat down, the register's complete, and it's time for class to begin. This time we're stepping out of the regular timeline and fast-forwarding to 1983 for the Dickensian delight that is Mickey's Christmas Carol. Sam, this is one of the most frequently told stories probably ever. I'm doubtful that anyone is listening to this having never seen any versions of A Christmas Carol, but for anyone who hasn't, can you give us a little bit of a summary? <laughs> I really wasn't expecting to be asked this question. <laughs> it's just like everybody knows, right? <laughs> so it's Christmas Carol. Okay, so Ebenezer Scrooge, played here by Scrooge McDuck, <laughs> Donald Duck's irascible uncle. He hates Christmas, not a fan. And one night, Christmas Eve, in fact, he is haunted by three or four spirits, depending on how you're counting, which try and show him the true meaning of Christmas by reacquainting him with all of his past traumas and indeed future traumas. And after that, he wakes up, he's happy, he loves Christmas, nice guy, goes round Mickey Mouse's house and gives him a big turkey. The end. The greatest story ever told. <laughs> God bless us, everyone. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> That's two. Oh, there's going to be another before this is through. You know, at least one more. Okay, so in terms of Disney chronology, then, we last saw Mickey in the package films. I think it was Fun and Fancy Free, maybe? Yeah, Fun and Fancy Free had them scrapping over a bean with the giant <laughs> in the Mickey and the Beanstalk segment. So what's been happening with Mickey in the meantime? Is he still a big figure for Disney through that whole period? And this is, what, a 25-minute short. So where was this shown? Why was this made? Okay, so yeah, this came out in 1983. So, chronology fans, this is in between The Fox and the Hound and The Black Cauldron. So we're nearly there, but if you're listening to this in December 2021, this is like a nice little Christmas treat. We're, we're booking the chronology um, for, for the benefit of timeliness. But if you're listening to this in the future, I would have to ask that you... Um, stop and listen to the fox and the hound first and then listen to this because i can't stand the idea of, of everyone <laughs> getting all of this out of order but yeah as far as mickey mouse chronology is concerned this is the first theatrical mickey mouse cartoon for 30 years so that the last mickey mouse theatrical short that went out in cinemas was 1953's the simple things where mickey goes fishing and tussles with a mischievous clam <laughs> Sounds great. Is that on Disney Plus? I don't know, actually. It'll be on YouTube. It'll be somewhere. Uh, so, yeah, it's classic generic Disney fare. But Mickey Mouse, his popularity didn't have the legs that characters like Donald and Goofy did, at least when it came to being the central figure of his own films. So, you know, Donald Duck would remain a big figure for a little bit longer than Mickey did, at least in terms of actually creating fiction based on these characters. Mickey's still the icon, but that's kind of all he is. He has less of a personality than these other supporting characters. And, and you see that in this film as well, right? It's called Mickey's Christmas Carol because he is the iconic figure at the centre of it, but he is not the lead in this. The lead is Scrooge McDuck, who I guess we'll, we'll talk about in a second. But yeah, Mickey Mouse needed a bit of a boost, and I think that's part of the reason why this film was released and wanted to keep that character going in the public consciousness. In terms of how it was released, it was like those old cartoons attached to a feature-length film 
it's been a long time since that was the norm in Hollywood. Like, pretty much at the end of the 1960s, theatrical cartoons stopped being a regular part of the cinema-going experience. But every so often, Disney would put a short at the start of a film, and this was, in fact, attached to the 1980s re-release of The Rescuers. Right. So, very fitting, actually, in terms of when this episode is being released. Maybe you can listen to it straight after The Rescuers. Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> oh, your face immediately then was like, no! <laughs> Fox and the Hound comes first. God damn it. So in terms of where the idea came from, this is based on a 1974 Disney audio drama that was released on a vinyl record. So this wasn't the first Mickey's Christmas Carol. There was a a record, an album that came out called An Adaptation of Dickens' Christmas Carol presented by the popular repertory company, the Walt Disney Players. Snappy. Snappy titles <laughs> off the tongue. Um, so this was a very similar idea, a very similar script, and most of the characters were playing the same roles, except uh, in that version, Merlin from The Sword and the Stone was the ghost of Christmas past, Amazing. a movie that needs to be left in the past. Um, <laughs> the witch from Snow White was the ghost of Christmas future, because I guess she's got experience with having a big black hood on. And you're going to like this one, Ben. The two charity collectors uh, who are in this, played by uh, Ratty and Mole from The Wind in the Willows, are in the audio drama played by Honest John and Gideon from Pinocchio. Oh, what? No, that's ruined it. That's just killed it. Why would you want that in your Christmas? Tale. Two very trustworthy <laughs> charity collectors, right? Yeah, I'm sure that money's going to the poor, honest John. <laughs> Shifty guy, that cunning fox. Oh man, I hate those guys. They're the absolute worst. Wow, so I didn't know that, that there was another Disney Christmas Carol. I mean, as you've alluded to, this is full of Disney cameos. That's part of the fun of this. We'll get talking about that uh, as we enter the main discussion. But yeah, I mean, it's a pretty straight-up retelling of the story, isn't it? Like, it follows all the beats, it just whizzes through them in record time, I'd say. Yeah, it elides a lot of material. The Muppets version, for example, is quite close. It's almost word for word. There's not much missing from that. But this is a... It's almost like the theme park version. It's like you're getting on a little ride and going through all of the little tableaus and sequences quite quickly. But I think, you know, you already know the story so you can fill in the blanks yourself. Instead of waiting for the ghosts to visit us, shall we just go straight to the Christmas past, present and future? Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) The ghosts Uh... of Christmas segues here to (laughs) shepherd us into the next segment. As you mentioned then, as much as this is called Mickey's Christmas Carol, the real central figure here is Scrooge McDuck, who is cast in the role of Ebenezer Scrooge. And Scrooge McDuck, I'm right in thinking, is the main character of DuckTales, or a central figure in DuckTales, which is like a sort of Donald Duck-esque spin-off thing. Which came first? Ebenezer Scrooge played by Scrooge McDuck, or was Scrooge McDuck already a thing? What is going on here, Sam? Yeah, Scrooge McDuck has been around for a long, long time, and he actually casts quite a long shadow in the world of Disney paraphernalia outside of the animation that we've been looking at. So he was created in 1947 by a guy called Carl Barks, who is a really legendary cartoonist, like in, in the comics and comic strip world, Carl Barks is like so well respected. I'm sorry, you keep saying Carl Barks and I just think of a cartoon version of Karl Marx played by a dog. <laughs> That's really good. We should do something with that. <laughs> Carl Barks. Um, oh, seize the means of production. Woof, 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 says Carl Barks. Carl Barks and Frederick Waggles. <laughs> no, that's not who... 
Karl Box is. He's, he's, a, he's a very respected comic artist who was assigned to write and draw comics initially about Donald Duck in the 40s, and he soon spun that off into this huge, iconic universe of his own, filled with ducks. You've got Huey, you've got Dewey, you've got Louie, Donald's nephews, you've got Uncle Scrooge, who I guess is everybody's uncle, and then you've got Magicka Dispel and Launchpad McQuack and all of these different characters, that, oh, Darkwing Duck, of course, who fill out the extended ducks universe you familiar with all these ducks i've heard of darkwing duck but i'm pretty sure you made the others up i'm sure you're just <laughs> pulling my leg here so just for some perspective on carl barks right he was one of the first three people inducted into the comic book hall of fame it was will eisner jack kirby and carl barks right so he's a really important guy and ben just can't it's, stop laughing it's just impressive that a dog managed to do this he was the third <laughs> comic book artist but the first with paws you, you put some respect on his amusing name, okay? <laughs> so, there are actually a lot of dogs in the Carl Barks universe. Uh, the Beagle Boys are some of Uncle Scrooge's enemies. So, the Duck universe and characters that he created are still one of the biggest comic franchises around the world, especially in Europe. Like, these things are huge. In the English-speaking world, less so, I think. Certainly in the UK, we're not as familiar with the Scrooge McDuck gang, but it's a big deal, okay? So... Scrooge McDuck, despite being a really big figure in comic books, took a long time to make it to animation. Uh, his first animated appearance was a 1967 short called Scrooge McDuck and Money, which is an educational film about the joys of capitalism and investing your money in stocks and stuff like that. That doesn't sound very Carl Barks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Carl Barks signed off on that. <laughs> one in particular. So this was the next big Scrooge McDuck animated endeavour after that. So very potted appearances. Didn't pop up in the world of animation very often, but if you're making a Christmas Carol movie set in the Mickey Mouse universe, who else are you going to get but Uncle Scrooge McDuck? So when does DuckTales begin? Does that happen after this, or is DuckTales already a thing? Oh, right, yeah, DuckTales is after this. DuckTales came out in 1987. So I don't know if this led directly to the production of that show. I haven't been able to find that out anywhere, but it certainly, uh, you know, it was a fairly successful short, fairly widely seen short, and it definitely gave Scrooge McDuck renewed prominence and, and maybe brought him more to the forefront of the Disney universe, which made something like DuckTales, an Indiana Jones-style adventure show where he's the central protagonist, possible. So this all kicks off uh, in typical Disney style with a song. There's a, a basically one song in this that plays at the beginning and plays at the end that's like, oh, what a merry Christmas day. It's there talking about the children far and near, which I just find amusing because I love that this is one of our go-to Christmas stories, right? But it's a really dark, sad Christmas story about this horrible guy who is visited by ghosts and then he's like, oh, I shouldn't be such a horrible guy. And that's our big Christmas myth. It's, it's, it's funny that they censored the culture in that way and that it, in this sense especially, let alone in The Muppets where it's it's telling that story quite faithfully, this is like, hey kids, come and see the ghost story, but now it's got Mickey involved. But I think the real thing, as you say, is the casting here. So we have Scrooge McDuck as Ebenezer Scrooge, we have Mickey Mouse as Bob Cratchit, and we also have Donald Duck as Master Fred, Scrooge's nephew. 
So I think that's all pretty solid casting. It makes sense that Mickey Mouse would be the other figure in this story, which is Bob Cratchit, even though he's not around for much of it. He is like the good guy, the nice guy, who you want to have a lovely Christmas at the end of all this. Yeah, and that's the Kermit role as well in the Muppets Christmas Carol. So he's kind of the analogous, like, straight man, everyman figure in the Muppets gang. Although the idea of Donald Duck being this really happy-go-lucky Fred character, where he's like, oh, hey, it's Christmas, everybody, yeah, I love it, I love it. It's like, that's not very Donald to me. I think Donald in real life, in real life, (laughs) Donald, (laughs) the classic characterization of Donald would be only slightly less Scroogey than Scrooge, I feel. Yeah. It also confused me that Donald Duck talks like a duck Oh, that made my throat feel horrible. Awful. He talks like that, and Scrooge McDuck is just Scottish. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is actually, it's funny you should say that, this is actually the final performance of Clarence Nash as Donald Duck. So he's the original Donald Duck who we've seen all the way through the package features. And what I find really funny is, so like, you know, this was also a new, one of the first appearances from a new voice actor for Mickey Mouse, but we've had loads of Mickey Mouses over the years. Because it's really easy to do Mickey Mouse's voice, any idiot can do it, right? God bless us, everyone! (laughs) But with Donald Duck, it's, like, incredible that they found even one guy who could do that voice. It's impossible. So I was looking up, like, who was the next guy who inherited it? And the next guy was called Tony Anselmo, and he trained with Clarence Nash for three years in order to be able to do that. He was, like, working on that voice forever. It's so hard. And he's still doing it a day. That is incredible. And I hope he's been training somebody else for years and years, because he must be pretty old by now. And you got to put up, I don't know, a white plume of smoke with a small blue hat to announce that the new Donald Duck has been selected. But yeah, as well as our central characters, the thing that I didn't expect going into this, as we've alluded to, is that there are tons of cameos here. And as you've already mentioned, the charity collectors are Ratty and Moly from Mr. Toad. And let me tell you, every time a new cameo popped up, every time we saw a familiar face, especially from the films that we've already covered, it brought me so much joy, so much happiness. So as we leave Scrooge's business behind and head back to his house, this is our first indication that Goofy is going to be our Jacob Marley because the doorknob turns into Goofy's face. Scrooge honks his little Goofy nose and we have the shadows of Marley, Goofy in all of his chains, following Scrooge up the stairs. I don't really know why Goofy was cast in this role. He's such a lovely guy. It's so funny hearing his, like, funny, goofy voice going, Remember when I swindled them? Oh, I can't. What's, a, what's a goofy voice? <laughs> that was Mickey Mouse again. That was Mickey voice. <laughs> so, the line you were going for, which I also wrote down, was, Remember when I swindled the widows and robbed the poor? <laughs> and I was like, No, I'm sure you didn't do that, Goofy. You would never do that. That's not a goofy move. I think, in a perfect world, you would swap Goofy and Donald in this. I know it makes sense for Donald to be Scrooge's nephew, but if Goofy was the fun-loving guy who tried to get Scrooge into Christmas and Donald was the grouchy, deceased uh, business partner, that might have worked a little bit better. I'm 100% with you. That makes so much more sense, except for just the duck relation thing. But come on, this is the Mickey Mouse universe. That doesn't have to make sense. But we get our next cameo when the first visitation comes. The ghost of Christmas past is Jiminy Cricket. They're pulling out the big guns. This is an all-star cast here. Was that the same voice of the old Jiminy Cricket, or have they got a new guy to do him at some point? 
No, it's not. I think the only voice, the only like classic voice in this is Clarence Nash as Donald Duck. Everyone else has been recast. But I thought Jiminy Cricket, whoever that was, did a really, really good job. Yeah, and it's just, as much as I have made my displeasure about Pinocchio well-known, Jiminy Cricket is a really cool, fun character. I've enjoyed every time he's popped up, obviously. He came back up in the package films. Uh, so I was really happy to see him. I didn't quite know what they were going to do with the ghosts here, but of course it makes sense that they are just going to be more... Disney figures and the ghost of Christmas past is I don't know one of the sort of lighter spirits that we encounter and usually quite diminutive in stature uh, especially compared to the ghost of Christmas present so it makes sense Jiminy Cricket is a good shout for that and as they fly off through the air together uh, I love some of the cartoony japes of that Scrooge and Jiminy kind of yeah flying through the sky and getting caught up in clouds we head to Fezziwig's place and I was like, who's going to be their Fezziwig? It's perfect in Muppet Christmas Carol when it's Fozzy Bear. And then I saw Mr. Toad. Oh my god, I cannot believe Mr. Toad came back. This scene is incredible. The number of like cameos from characters who we specifically on this podcast have grown to love in, in, this, <laughs> in this party scene. Because that is what they're drawing on. They're drawing on these obscure all like animal characters that we've just gotten obsessed with. So you get Mr. Toad and then immediately after that were cut to Uncle Waldo. Yes! Like, Waldo just loves a party. Waldo doesn't even work for Fezziwig. He just turned up because he heard there would be free booze. And you go around <laughs> the room, you've got um, Angus McBadger. <laughs> he clucks in there. She's dancing with the secretary bird from Bedknobs and Broomsticks. It's truly an all-star cast. And as we pan across this room, Scrooge McDuck, he goes, it's all of my dearest friends. And it's like, I really felt that, man. It's all of my dearest friends as well. <laughs> and the three nephews, Huey, Dewey and Louie are all there yeah. as well. I think Badger from Mr. Toad was there mm-hmm, as well. Did mm-hmm. you say Badger already? Maybe you I did. did say him already, but so good we can mention him twice. Angus McBadger, to give him a proper name. One of Scrooge McDuck's fellow countrymen. And in terms of the narrative importance of this, this is when we find out that Scrooge was in love in the past, he had a lady friend, and then he messed it up because he's just the worst. So this is presumably Daisy Duck? I mean, she's got the pink bow. Uh, Is this similar to the actual characterization of Daisy Duck? Because we've not encountered her in any of the mainstream Disney stuff. That's true. Daisy Duck... It took a little bit of time to develop a proper personality. I think in, in the more modern stuff, they've really tried to position her as a slight, in, in a little bit of like a Betty and Veronica dichotomy with, with Minnie Mouse. So Minnie's more like Demure and Daisy's more like tomboyish. It's just a generic duck woman in this though. and, <laughs> and uh, Which is probably for the best because it'd be kind of weird if Uncle Scrooge was going out with Donald's girlfriend even just in a movie. <laughs> but, oh, by the way, um, I was in this in school. I was young Scrooge in this scene in a school play when I was 10. I took the role from somebody else because they didn't want to kiss a girl. So I <laughs> I inherited that. And I went, oh, sign me up, you know? And that was my great bow in primary school on the stage, treading the boards. Were you ever in A Christmas Carol? No, we never did A Christmas Carol. We were just a classic nativity stuff. I don't think we ever did any other like Christmas things that weren't nativity. I, we did do Oliver, the musical, and I was Oliver. I got the starring role, so that was pretty good. Uh, we both had our m- moment in Dickens, uh, but yeah, never in A Christmas Carol. And I, maybe for your characterization, did you imagine that this was 
all of your friends in in Fozzywig's place. I imagined that the the woman I was saying I love you to was Daisy Duck. Yes, <laughs> I can. I'll, I'll give you my delivery. I can still remember it. Right, word perfect. My big line. Oh, go for it. Let me hear it. But I love you, Belle. Amazing. I've got tears in my eyes, throwing roses onto the stage as uh, as we speak. So that's the whole Christmas past thing, and then we get into the Ghost of Christmas Present, and I thought, again, this was great casting, because it's the giant from Mickey and the Beanstalk, from our other Mickey segment that we've covered in the show, and you need a big, gregarious guy to do the whole Christmas present thing, Uh, and the giant is that. You get these moments of him kind of stalking around Victorian London and pulling the roofs off houses and peeking inside, and it was kind of a less menacing version of him stomping around Hollywood at the end of Fun and Fancy Free. Yeah, bringing out his special move, the old roof peak. He loves a bit of that. (laughs) You do hear a woman scream at one point when he lifts the roof up, you just get it. Yeah, this is this one is very truncated though compared to what we're familiar with. We don't get to visit like Fred's party or anything like that. It's pretty much just we're gonna go and see the Cratchits. We're gonna see Tiny Tim having a rough go of it. We're gonna meet Bob Cratchit's wife, played by Minnie, who does not speak, and we're going to meet their children, which I think is the first time. Minnie and Mickey have ever had children and as such been implied to have um, gotten familiar. Yeah, hot stuff. Hot and steamy. I have to say, uh, Tiny Tim is cute. Tiny Tim is inherently cute. And and Mickey Mouse is cute. So a little small Mickey Mouse is a cute Tiny Tim, but he has nothing on Muppet Tiny Tim. Tiny Kermit from the Muppet Christmas Carol. I could uh, cry just thinking about him. Oh, he's so wholesome. With his little cane and his little little frog face. Oh, it breaks my heart, Sam. The one thing I do want to say about this segment, about the uh, Ghost of Christmas Present, is that obviously it's a sense of abundance in this sequence. It is abundant food, it is abundant love, it's abundant joy. And in the food, the sparkling grapes that Scrooge gets caught up in look so good. They're so like big and juicy and shiny, they're glinting in the light. Grapes are nature's sweets. And I thought that this captured that perfectly. Any strong grape feelings? <laughs> no, I love grapes. I'm all about grapes. If, if it was a predominantly grape-based Christmas lunch, I would be more amenable to that than the roast dinner that I usually get. Yeah. <laughs> but as you say, this is quite a truncated segment of the story compared to what you get in, in other adaptations, especially because it then just like fast-forwards you on to the Ghost of Christmas Future. He doesn't really end his time in the present. He's just suddenly in a big, scary mist Standing by Gravestone, the ghost of Christmas feature is here. And this guy I sort of recognised, but I didn't really know him. Who is the big scary dog? You look so disappointed in me. We've we've had this before. I mentioned this guy before, and you were like, who's Pete? I can't remember what episode it was on, but Pete came up. Well, once again, allow me to ask, who's Pete? He's the baddie. He's like, any time the Mickey Mouse gang need a baddie, it's Pete. <laughs> so he's like, he's a bad guy in Kingdom Hearts. He's a bad guy in, do you ever see Goof Troop? The Goofy sitcom? I have not seen yeah. Goof Troop. No? Okay, so, <laughs> God. Well, he's, he's like Goofy's next door neighbour and he's like his rival. He's in, you know, Mickey and the Three Musketeers. He's the bad guy in that. I think he's the bad guy in Mickey Mouse's Prince and the Pauper. This is all just landing completely on deaf ears. Get a horse? <laughs> did you see that? The short that they did? I did not see Get a Horse. You did see Get a Horse. I, I think it was it was in front of Frozen and it starts off as like a classic like old school Mickey Mouse cartoon then it becomes 3D and, and they jump out of the screen and the CGI and it's Pete and he's like, oh, I'm gonna get you. 
I have not like seen that. that. That sounds great. I didn't see uh, Frozen in the cinema. I've seen it on DVD, uh, and, and it doesn't automatically play those shorts when you watch them at home. So, well, your homework is to get on Disney Plus and watch Get the Horse. I can't believe you don't know Pete. Pete's iconic. <laughs> he's he's a major dude. And the best thing about casting Pete in this role is that the whole time, even before he takes off his hood, he's just puffing on a get big stogie. <laughs> he's got a <laughs> massive cigar, which felt really ironic because we were talking a few episodes ago about how they edited the cigarettes out of all the Walt Disney pictures or the cigars because they were like oh we can't show big Walt tooting on a big cigar but we can with Pete because he's supposed to be evil cigars are for evil people and kind of demonic spirits from the future I mean this segment of the story is so bleak this is the real like hey Merry Christmas kids moment yep that's Mickey Mouse crying and putting the little crutch of Tiny Tim on his gravestone hope you're all having a wonderful time and ready for your turkey it's a dark dark story the the weasels digging Scrooge's grave were they from Mr. Toad as well? Yeah, they're the, based on the, the baddie weasels who take over Toad Hall in that. Well, as A Christmas Carol dictates, he does get knocked into the grave, but he wakes up in his bedroom. It was sort of all a dream. It was sort of all a ghost vision. And now Scrooge is loving life. Uh, he's going to spread his generosity and Christmas cheer. He heads out into the street, and that's when we see the turtle and the little rabbit from Robin Hood. That was another little cameo in there. And then... Donald Duck comes in, but it's not just Donald Duck. Oh no. He is riding on the back of Cyril the horse. And I have written in my notes, ultimate Sam Disney moment. Is there anything that is better for you than Donald Duck riding Cyril the horse? It's incredible. What a moment. What a pairing. Like, (laughs) why is that not? That should be its own thing. That should be its own special, its own like buddy cop movie or something. I want to see more of Donald and Cyril solving crimes, whatever it is they want to get up to. Like, Cyril doesn't really talk in this, which is a shame. If you see this and you haven't seen The Wind in the Willows, then you probably just think he's a regular horse. You don't realise he's got this whole Cockney Spiv personality. He's, <laughs> he's got this whole, like, con man aspect to him. What are they getting up to? What are they talking about? Can they even tolerate each other? We need more. We needed Carl Barks to come in and write that story. Maybe put a talking dog who wants to pull apart capitalism. That would have been great. I feel like Cyril the Horse would get caught up in some kind of, like, communist Marxist plot. I feel like he would be very easily swayed in that situation. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, there's only one way to find out, and that's to make this thing. So that wraps up our blast through Mickey's Christmas Carol. It's a Christmas Carol, but with Mickey Mouse. And now we would normally do our discarded section and the reviews section and the lasting legacy and stuff, but we've kind of covered the lasting legacy already, uh, and we're not going to do the other bits for this bonus episode. But I do want to ask Sam, does anything Christmassy happen in the parks, in the Disney parks around this time of year? Yes, that's an enormous question. (laughs) (laughs) What is that question? Of course it does. Um, You get ducks in costumes, you get mice... What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God! Neither of us are are compass mentors enough to be doing this. You know, they do uh, Haunted Mansion Holiday. Eventually we'll do an episode on the Nightmare Before Christmas and we can talk about that. Yeah, had I had prep time for that, I could probably have come up with something, but that's... Yes, they do, everywhere. (laughs) There's lots of things. Well, before we wrap up, 
Uh, let's have a little bit of Encanto chat. We're going to avoid outright spoilers here, but there will probably be a few details in there as we're talking about what happens in the film and, and our thoughts on it. So if you want to stay completely cold, maybe hold off until you've seen the film. But as we said before, I think it's coming to Disney Plus around Christmas time, so you can sit down with your family. Uh, and this is a story that is very much about family, wouldn't you say, Sam? Yeah, it's about family in a way that I think a lot of Disney movies purport to be, but none of them really achieve. So, for example, and I know Frozen 2 is a movie that you really like, and it's a movie I think I'm slightly colder on, no pun intended, than you. But it's that's a movie that I think really pushes this family angle, and it's about the, the history of the Frozen family. I don't think they have a surname, and like the sisterhood between those two protagonists in that film. But you don't really see much of them as a family unit in those movies, especially, you know, because their actual parents are, are deceased from the start of the first movie. Whereas in this, we get a family movie that is really about family, even more so than the Fast and the Furious movies, if that's possible at all. <laughs> uh, it's about exploring those dynamics between those characters. And it's completely disinterested in, in any like grand villainous machinations or anything like that, or, or romance, these concerns that tend to fuel most Disney musicals in one way or another. It's a different kind of story for the Disney musical film, and that did make it feel really fresh to me. Totally same. I thought it had a really interesting slant on the Disney formula. I think we've spoken more recently, I think maybe when we talked to the Ghibliotech guys, about how a lot of recent Disney films have had these kind of grand, epic, spiritual mythologies even. Uh, and this one, I guess, has a bit of that. It has that magical realism thing, because it's set in Colombia, and it, it follows the traditions, uh, the literary traditions of magical realism that come from authors like uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. But what it does with that, instead of telling a story that expands out into the world, it burrows further into the house and into the family. So this is the Madrigal family, where every member of the family, when they're about five years old, is given a magical power uh, and their own special room in this living, breathing house. But our hero, Mirabel Madrigal, voiced by Stephanie Beatriz, uh, she never received a gift... And she doesn't really know what her place is. And then it seems like the magic of the family might be fading. And she has to kind of try and work out why. And instead of creating this big fantasy world and this cast of characters who then go out into the world, it gives you this incredible location and these really interesting characters and just delves further into the family history, into the house itself, into the secrets that are hidden in the house and within the family members. And I thought that was just a really nice inversion of what Disney has done quite a lot recently. Yeah, I love the house as well, this kind of empathetic environment that's like a character in and of itself and is able to come to life and move around and engage and interact with these human characters. It reminded me of the ocean in Moana as well. And that's that's an idea that I'm really interested in because animated environments going all the way back to the days of like Felix the Cat and the Fleischer Brothers have always been just that, animated. They have had this own sense of, of life and, and vibrancy and, and kineticism to them. And I love the fact that they are literalizing that in these more recent Disney movies and giving these environments characters of their own. Yeah, I think when you think of Disney houses as well, it, that goes all the way back to this whole lineage of like Disney castles and these big imposing houses of a sort. But this one plays a very different role because the house is alive and it's warm and it's inviting and it's not this kind of stoic structure, but at the same time feels part of that lineage that goes right back to the start of Disney animated features. 
we have to talk as well about the Lin-Manuel Miranda songs because, I mean, the thing that made me excited about this project in the first place, other than that I'm just always looking forward to what Disney are doing, is that it's the directors of Zootopia slash Zootropolis, as we call it here, and Moana songwriter Lin-Manuel Miranda. So that is a pretty incredible combo. What did you make of the songs in this one? I liked them. I liked all of the very Lin-Manuel Miranda style flourishes. There was a lot more, I don't know if you go so far as to call them raps, but there was a lot more like patter songs, songs with um, very quick delivery that pack a lot of information in a short space of time, but make it work through the sheer pace of the rhythm and the rhymes with which he's able to invest those lyrics. I really love the opening song and sequence, especially the Family Madrigal song, which is the one that's kind of gotten really stuck into my head. We are the family magical, da 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 magical. That's how it goes. Um, We're all the people are fantastical and magical. I've been listening to this good. quite a lot. Ben's, Ben's <laughs> listening to this a few more times than me. I've just got a vague impression of uh, the melody in my head from a couple of weeks ago. But um, that's a really impressive opening sequence and a really impressive opening song because we've talked. When we're talking about Raya and the Last Dragon, for example, about how movies like Frozen 2 and Raya get a little bit bogged down with exposition in the first act, and especially in these prologues that they both have that have to get a lot of highfalutin lore across very quickly. And there's a very short, more simplistic prologue to Encanto, but the real meat of the exposition comes through in this really exciting and entertaining musical number where we're introduced to all these characters and their individual superpowers and the role that they play within this community through these fun, fast-paced lyrics. And it's a great work of narrative efficiency as well as a great work of songwriting that brings to mind, for example, uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast, which I think Lin-Manuel Miranda cited as a touchstone for this film. Yeah, I think that is an incredible opening number. The other one that I really, really have hooked onto is Waiting on a Miracle, which is Mirabelle's, like, I want song. It's her singing about the fact that she never got her gift and questioning her place and like letting out that feeling she says to everyone that she's fine with it but this is the song where she's like i'm not fine and i'm waiting on a miracle and just the melodies of that are so so strong i think that for me is my favorite song on the soundtrack but then at the same time you get a song like surface pressure which is louisa's song the sister about having to carry all the family burdens that is the sort of pop breakout number it's the closest thing i would say to a you're welcome it's not quite as sunny as you're welcome it's got quite a moody tone to it but that has the real hooky poppy melodies in there then you have something like We Don't Talk About Bruno, which has a really significant narrative point to it, but is also a big entertaining number that's also like a sort of spooky salsa kind of vibe. It has like an eerie, almost Halloween-y tone to it. Uh, what Else Can I Do, I thought, was basically like Let It Go, but more fun. I like Let It Go, but I don't 100% get that song in the way that it just became the biggest thing ever. But this is another song that is like a big release, a moment of somebody kind of finally letting themselves be open and and see what happens when they let their powers flourish. So, oh, I loved all the music here. And Sam, towards the end, I had a little bit of dust in my eye at the conclusion of this film. I thought it had just a really beautiful way of bringing everything together and some of the sentiments that you get towards the end are maybe yes a bit cheesy but I thought they really really worked and the emotional places that it goes to and the way that it actually excavates into the family and the family dynamic 
felt real. It didn't feel surface level. Yeah, I mean, we've established that it doesn't take much to make me cry in, in some of these animated movies, but um, I was shedding a couple of tears in this as well, and I think it's because the movie does, because of the simplicity of its overall plot, which obviously we won't spoil, but it does give itself the room to explore the relationships and the kind of sometimes soap opera style dramas between these characters in a way that a movie like Frozen 2, for example, isn't really able to because of the amount of plot that it needs to shovel through to use another snow <laughs> metaphor. Sam, don't you dare come for show yourself. That is the best number in either Frozen film, and you know that to be true. And Ben Travis, you reviewed this for Empire, right? And gave it four stars? I did. Stars? I gave it four stars, which I, I stand by, which... I mean, I gave four stars to Frozen 2 and to Raya and the Last Dragon, which probably makes me sound basic and a bit of a shill, but I think they're on a good stretch at the moment, Disney. I think they're in a really good place and doing interesting things and telling sort of fun, vibrant stories with a lot of heart, uh, a lot of emotion, really good songs, really good fights in Raya. So if you've maybe fallen behind on some of the recent Disney output, have a look on Disney+. Plus. Get those films up, but it's probably going to be a couple of years before we properly approach them on this podcast. At the rate we're going, it'll be a little while before we get there. So that is it for this little festive bonus episode. We really hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll be back in the new year with more from the Dark Age of Disney, heading into The Fox and the Hound, The Black Cauldron, all sorts of sad, strange films from the studio before we blast into the Disney renaissance. Sam, we're so close now. I am excited. That's all to come in 2022, but in the meantime, do subscribe to Disneyversity wherever you get your podcasts. And if you fancy dropping us a little review, we'll get you the biggest turkey in the local butchers just in time for Christmas Day. Every star rating and kind word really does make our day, so if you have a sec, please do spread the love. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Disneyversity. We post our episode notes with insights from Sam on the films on our Instagram, so do check us out on there. But for now, it's Merry Christmas from Sam. Bar humbug. That's you <laughs> facing your Christmas dinner. Boo, Sam, boo. I would rather have humbugs for my Christmas dinner than a roast. <laughs> Oh, God. And on that note, it's Merry Christmas from me, too. God bless us, everyone. Disneyversity is brought to you by Ben Travis and Sam Summers. Our artwork is by Ollie Gibbs, and our music is by Nefetz. Follow us at Disneyversity on Twitter and Instagram, and catch you for next week's class. Disneyversity.